please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, David. Um, so we were just talking about the format of the show and how we're addressing our format and changing some things. And mm-hmm. um, we're just, you know, we're, we're flying by the seat of our pants. We've got, we're obviously doing segments now. If you haven't been following along, like you might watch bits and pieces of an episode before the final episode airs on YouTube. And that's just because we're uh, we're chopping things up into segments so that they're tinier bites for people that don't have an hour and a half or two hours to listen to a full episode. Um, and we found that that's working pretty well with our audience, so we're going to continue to do it. Um, yep. So, what's new for this week? Um, I have been on the hunt for um, putting together a band. And so... Uh, Kind of want to share some details about that. I don't know if I talked about it in the last episode because it was because it was ongoing. So I put up an ad on Craigslist, and um, I asked for uh, a drummer and a bass player. And um, I got a bass player that, that contacted me immediately, and we've been jamming in this uh, rehearsal space in the city, which I've been told by people that's such a pain in the ass. Why would you do that, etc. Because at this point, like I look for serious people. And if somebody's willing to put up the 15 or 20 bucks that it takes to go into a rehearsal space for two hours, they're serious. Okay. Um, That's the way I look at it. Not that you can't be serious and do the other thing, like practice at your house or whatever, but it's an easy way to weed out people who don't really have the desire to do this on the level that I do. Because I will pay money to play in a rehearsal space. I will pay money to go into a studio. I will do all of those things that are that are required. So, um, the bass player thing was fine. Like I met this guy, we played. We're supposed to get together again this week. Um, we're supposed to get together again last week, but uh, I had some stuff going on. And he had some stuff going on, so it didn't happen. This week we're going to get together again and hopefully hammer out some uh, some music that I've written. Um, again, he's been working on arrangements for bass that are different than what I've got. And I'm fine with that. Like I'm totally willing to put my stuff on the table and to alter things. I always assumed that's what would happen when I started to form a band anyway. Um, but here's where the fun begins. So I solicited drummers, right? I've got, I think four drummers who contacted me. Um, I put our ages in the ad immediately after me and the bass player started jamming. Now he's got no, I've got no commitment from him. So that may not be the final official word on what goes on here, but um, I put, I, I put the word out, right. I get these, I get these drummers. First drummer, he says, first thing he says, I'm much older than you, which I'm not an ageist. I don't care. Um, I was like, basically like, can you play? Show me, show me your clips. Here's my stuff. Let's, let's talk. Um, I got the impression that he didn't want to go into the city. He's located in Elgin. And so immediately after I started talking about maybe going down to rehearsal space to jam, he wanted to go to his house and then he ghosted me. 
Um, so uh, without without saying I didn't want to go into the city, he just ghosted me. Not responding to me. I've texted him, whatever. Fine. You're done. You struck out. Okay. Because right. as far as I'm concerned, I, you're not even in my Rolodex anymore. Um, right. And so the next uh the next guy uh reaches out. Similar situation. I'm I'm older, right? And he provides me with video clips and a uh, SoundCloud. And he's not like, he's a drummer, right? Like, so he obviously actually plays drums. Uh, he said that he's into a lot of the same bands that I am, that he saw many of them live, whatever, back when they were popular. And um, so I sort of was like, okay, great. I watched his clips. I watched his SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do, I'm going to try to say this in the most constructive way possible. The guy needs to practice with a metronome. Um, right, yeah. yeah. And, and it was really clear that when I was listening to was not the caliber of drummer that probably fits the bass player and I already. Right, so right. that was, nope, not going to work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Third drummer. This is the, this is the doozy, okay? Um, he sends me his SoundCloud says these are the bands I'm into because because I, I changed the ad I took out a lot of the influence stuff I basically said just contact us and we'll, we'll you know we'll have a conversation um, put the genres contact us we'll have a conversation so the guy contacted me and um, he sends me his uh, SoundCloud and the tracks that are there I can't hear any drums it's like drone music and it's over the top of the drums to the point where I can't hear them. First track, second track, similar. Uh, I could, there are drums there. I can hear them way, way buried in the mix. Like I can't make out what they're doing kind of buried. Uh, it sounds like, you know, synthesizers and organs and stuff covering up everything. Third track. I can yep. hear cymbals. I can hear a snare somewhere in there, but I still can't tell what's going on. No, I listened to all seven tracks. There was one track where you could hear drums. And it was okay. It, w- it wasn't like even that track, they were buried. I had to really listen to hear drums. Jim, I'll share this uh, SoundCloud with you after the show. I'm not going to share it with your listeners because I, I don't want to embarrass anyone. But I wrote back to the guy and I said, I said, I'm still interested. But I said, here's the deal. Can you send me some clips of you of like where the drums are audible? And then he sent me a one word res- or uh, like a one line, two sentence response. And he said, the drums are perfectly audible in those tracks. Let me know. They're not audible. <laughs> They're not. They're not. If you call white noise, just ramped up to, you know, to all hell with the drums buried in the mix of white noise, audible. I'm like, dude, I, I can't work with you because if we go into the studio together, what the hell is going to happen? Right. Like, yep. I need somebody who's willing to stand out in front of everybody and be like, okay, this is how you play drums and really have that attitude about it. Like, I'm going to show you how to do it. Um, so I, I struck out three times in a row at this point and I get a fourth guy reach out to me. He wants my phone number so he can, eat, so he can text message me a video. Mm-hmm. Now, I may... I may go through with that, but I'm kind of like, that suggests to me you don't know how to use a computer. And I, I I need people who are at least on the same level with as me in regards to like communicating and yeah. social media presence 
and those kinds of things. So these are the things that are going on in my head. It's not just like, can you play? Are you good? It's, can you play? Are you good? Do you know how to market a band? Are you going to be comfortable with, you know, going to rehearsal spaces and studios? Are you know, like, these are all things. So it's just like when, you know, um, uh, that that documentary that's on Netflix, I forget what it's called, but it's about all the, the uh, side guys and, and side ladies that are involved in the music industry. And there's a there's a segment in there with Alice Cooper who says, it isn't about how good you are. It's about, can I get along with you on the bus? And right. that's basically what I'm dealing with right now. It's like, I, I, I found people, I know people locally who are really good at both of these jobs. Right. Um. I don't know what their level of commitment is. And most of them are already in other situations. And I'm not looking for somebody who's fully committed to me. Like that's, that's not what's going on here. If it worked out, if the timing worked out, but see, for me, this is going to be my big thing. I'm going to put all my effort forth on this and I want to be doing a lot of gigs. So I'm kind of like when somebody says, Oh, I'll do it part time. I'm kind of like, Oh gosh, like, as much as I would love, I, I had somebody offer to do it for me part time. As much as I would love to have them do it because they're an incredible player and very in demand locally. I'm like, man, I really need to be able to be sure that if I book two or three gigs a week, they're going to be able to be there because I can't have a situation where they can't show up. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, the kind mm-hmm. of music I perform is a whole band music. It's not like I can go out and do an acoustic gig one night or. Um, it's just not going to work out. So yeah, well, you have a very specific type of your your um your songs are constructed very specifically, and you can't just oh, you know what? I'm going to do like like uh, what tonight me, and, the, tonight me and just the guitar and the bass player are going to play. Like what? Yeah, that's, not gonna <laughs> you know, that's not the way this music's you know, written. You know, that's like that's like no. asking Led Zeppelin to show up without you know without a guitarist. Like it just doesn't make sense. But I guess the, the question I would have for you, and I and I pose this to a friend of mine who just can't seem to find a drummer. Oh, I can find him. <laughs> That's not the problem. Well, I don't I mean a, a drummer that you can use, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it would seem to me that especially with pre-constructed music like yours and, and me with pop music, um, wouldn't it be easier to just track the drums and so yes and no so yes and no one of the things i want to add to the set is spontaneity but i also want to work with a group of people that can help me write because that's part that's part of my okay that's different that's what i was going to ask now if you want writing you know it's help in the studio to write and to create that's a different thing yeah it's going to be a band it's not going to be the david hill experience okay let's be like let's be really clear here like it's going to be a band and we might use some of my music to yeah. fill out things or maybe to get started. Um, but yeah. it will be a joint writing effort. And that was immediately yeah. my, the, the bass player I'm playing with. He's like, dude, I'd really love to work up some arrangements for this stuff. And I'm like, right. go for it. Just leave all the parts intact. You can shuffle them around. You could, you know, I gave him like guidelines, like you shuffle the order around. You can change the structure. Make sure that, right. you know, you're doing this and this and, this, and like gave him a checklist. So, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I want to, I want to work with, I want to collaborate with people. Right. And so yeah, yeah, of course. I have to find people that I'm going to be able to collaborate well with now. Right. Um, part of this is because like, I know longevity, 
right? Like in order to have longevity as a group of people, I don't want to play for like a year with a group of people and then disintegrate because X guy's ego is so big that he's got to bury his drums in the mix. And like, because that's the kind of music he liked. Because that whole, that whole thing was like a, a particular style of music. And I get it. Right. Some people are into yeah. that style of music. I yeah. don't happen to be that person, for at least for what we're already doing. So it just wasn't going to work out. Um, right. That's where I'm, that's where I'm like having this conundrum as I'm dealing with, the, you know, waiting through these guys. Like, well, yeah. you're looking, you're literally looking for a Mike Portnoy. You're looking for a, uh, a Stu Copeland. You're looking for, uh, I'm looking for somebody someone, who's got some chops, basically. Right. Oh, who has the chops and the writing chops. Right. You know, Copeland, Copeland didn't come up with those things because Sting told him when to hit the snare and the, and the kick and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, Portnoy, and I don't know who they have with them now. I, it, whatever. Um, I'm not going to say too much about what I feel about the drumming now versus the drumming when Portnoy was with them. Um, but I will say that what Portnoy is doing with his other thing is still collaborative. Mm -hmm. uh, matter of fact, uh, who's the guy from Blue um, Blue Murder uh, who played with Small Faces and? Um, I don't he know, wrote, fan. Yeah, he wrote um, "Do You Think I'm Sexy," which is still paying the bills for him. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, oh, Vin, Vinny, oh, crap! He's got an Italian name, but it's and it's slipping my mind. But anyway, um, he and his brother are both drummers. Point is, uh, both do metal and hard rock. Uh, the disco thing was kind of a weird one-off. But anyway, it, it was my point here is this: he was very collaborative and and wrote songs. Phil Collins, another drummer that wrote songs. Don Hanley. Phil Collins is songs. the Phil Collins is the it would be if somebody came up and said my favorite drummer is Phil Collins and I want to play drums for you, I'd be like, come here, <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, yeah. What, yeah. Do I need do to come this. pick you up to go to the rehearsal yeah. space? Or like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, that because because he happens to be one of my not my favorite not my favorite songwriter and not my favorite singer or anything like that. He's one of my favorite drummers ever. Because yeah. if you haven't ever listened to Phil play drums, like just play drums, especially yeah. in his early days, Brand X. Oh, that's geez. a band yeah. you should go listen to. Um, yeah, Phil Collins is is incredible. Like I said. Um, those are the, those are the people that you're kind of looking for. If I was to, if I was to ask somebody what their, um, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be, uh, it might be, it might be, um, uh, bottom, but everybody says bottom, you know what I mean? It's but like all roads lead to him. Guitar player, <laughs> yeah. Guitar player is saying Jimmy Page or, or Jimmy Hendrix. Right, right. Okay. But who else have you got in your arsenal? You know, who's the, you know. Is it, um, is it Tim Pierce? Is it, uh, you know, somebody who, who most guitar players wouldn't say, but it would be for me because pop music is my thing. Somebody who's really famous for pulling off some really cool pop. I mean, yeah, Eddie Van Halen and, and, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Terry Vaughn and Garrett Clapton, they're all great. But what, yeah. are, what are the ones that you can tell me that might pique my interest? You know what I mean? Sure. Um, sure. Kind of All right. Well, that's been enough of that. Um, if you guys know any drummers who live in the Chicagoland area who are interested, there you go. please hit me up. You can uh, hit me up in the Facebook group or you can uh, comment in the channel below. Uh, you know, give me some contact details and I'll be happy to reach out to you. Uh, that's yeah. it. Uh, if you are new to the channel and you're enjoying the content here as we go through it, 
please hit like, subscribe, hit the notification bell if you want to, you know, get alerted when we post something. I don't know why you would ever want to do such a thing, but it's there. You can do it, right? Um, and we've been told to say it a bunch by YouTube itself. That's right. So, so we're saying it. Yeah, we're saying it. Um, so we have a Facebook like, group. Subscribe, and, share. You know, we got merch too. Stuff. We got merch somewhere too. Patreon. <laughs> Patreon yeah, merch. It's, always, it's around. It's all down it. there in the description somewhere. Maybe. I mean, um, so uh, our first topic for the evening, our first real yes. topic. Is um, we Jim and I've been talking about. Custom you got to set the stage for this. We've been, we, we, I think we mentioned the last episode, but, but Jim and I've been talking about custom shop guitars, and we're talking about like what they actually represent from a value standpoint versus right. uh, actual stuff. Now I'm going to share a lot of anecdotal evidence, some things that I've heard. Some mm-hmm. of it may be true. I think most of it probably is. Some of it may not be true. So if it's not true, please comment below. And if you're watching this video, please check the comments below and see what's been disproven. Yeah. Um, what's hard. But uh, just remember that, you know, just because little Jimmy says, no, nah, that's not true. doesn't mean it isn't true, too. Right. Um, do your, do your, you know, conscious research. But anyway, um, we're going to give a shout out to there's a, a YouTube channel before I go further. I, I do want to I do want to mention these guys because I've been watching their videos and I think I mentioned to you I was going to shout them out at some point. Um, yeah. Let me see if I can find their channel real quick. Um, I and then they a did hair the, in my right eye. They did the that real story of okay. Um, BGB. Space SATX is the name of the channel. Uh, so BGB SATX. Okay. And uh, BGB Space SATX. And they have a video, they have a couple of videos, but they're hilarious. And it's like alternate histories. Oh, yeah. Alternate oh, yeah. histories of items. So they did so like, uh, who is Howard Alexander Dumble? Yep. Uh, um, which they talk about his connections to the, to the uh, Russian... Oh, no, I think it's he's CIA or something, right? No, he was CIA. The other one was the Russian guy. The, Mike Matthews. The, um, the is, Matt, no, no. Uh, uh, Bill Finnegan. Bill Finn, no, Finnegan. he's an IRA member who oh, was yeah, trained was, by the Russians. And Mike Matthews right. happened to be a KGB a Russian operative. spy, yeah. Yeah, he was a KGB <laughs> operative. You have to watch these videos. They are hilarious. Yeah, if you listen to them, you don't even have to watch them. If you just listen to them. So funny because... It's it's so believable. It's it's got one of those. It's it's got just enough truth to make you laugh. Oh, I was crying the whole time because I knew it was bullshit. I knew it was bullshit for moment one. But right, it, right. But it allows you to suspend belief during the during the podcast or the the. Yeah, it's only the then they're short. They're short, they're like three, they're four short. minutes yeah, long. Yeah, they're just a few minutes long. They're really short, really funny. You're, they're obviously so fake, but let me tell you, if some urgent urban uh, urban legends don't come from these things, I don't know what will. I mean, you're going to get a whole bunch of... Somebody's going to post it. I just found out that Mike Matthews was a Russian spy. Or that... Or that the, <laughs> you're uh, going to know where that shit came the from. Russia, the secret Russian diodes in the Klon, yeah, you know, because, yeah, because Bill Finnegan was bu- building stuff for the Russians... 
who were trying yep, to overthrow the, the British the government. IRA. <laughs> yeah, this is that. It was so funny. I was dying laughing um, when you sent me that. I laughed. I watched every single video right after that. Oh yeah, and, and it only took it, guys. It only took like maybe a half hour, forty five minutes, and I was done with all of them. It was really funny and really fun to watch. Yeah, so, um, or listen to however you want to say it. So go check it out. But anyway, back to the yep. uh, custom shop thing. So there's a lot of myths surrounding like why you would buy a custom shop guitar. Right. And this started because you and I, I think we're talking about like uh, Fender custom shop. I actually was talking about, you know, buying buying a custom shop guitar, right? Like what that would actually right. entail and why we do that. And right. it became very... And I think there's different types of custom shops. So that's what we're going to... Oh, sure. But I'm just talking about yeah. like, let's talk lower rung, right? So like in Fender, right. it's the $3,000 Stratocaster that you can get from the custom shop. $3,000 to $4,000 Stratocaster or Telecaster right. or whatever model that you get from them. Um, yeah. So it's it's not master built, meaning one guy didn't build it for you. Oh, right. It's not guy a $7,000, $8,000 right. It's Murphy just lab type thing. It's just, this is what it is, right? Um, right. And you can get, those will show up in stores. Like you can go into a store and you right. can see one and you can pull it off the rack and play it. Master yeah. builds are a little bit more different because a lot of times they won't appear in stores or somebody will order one specifically as a master built. Um, yeah. And somebody those are pricey. Yeah, those are seven to $10,000. They're pricey, right? right. So yeah. here's the deal. My, my complaint is, and actually this, this got born out of, I think, a topic from last week because we were already having a conversation about the topic, which was that we were... Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was like, we were talking about, um, uh, guitars and what you get for your money. Like what's inexpensive right. versus expensive and like how things change in the price range. And, and I, I kind of said like, for me, so like this goes back to the S2 versus core model thing. Right. So like, this is a PRS S2 that I bought, um, a couple weeks back. And I was like, next day I was like, gosh, I should have bought a core model. Like, or right. I should have bought a, a CE. And that was kind of what was going through my head. And I'm I'm okay. I I didn't go do that nonsense and like, you know, sell my 35th and get a core model. I don't really want one. Like, as I was thinking about more and more. Because the core right, model is right. now taking on some of the low-end custom shop stuff for PRS now. And that's basically the way I look at it. It's like, that's low-end custom shop for PRS which the artist yeah, package yeah. was like custom shop two. And now it's yep. to the point, because look at the prices, Jim. I mean, that's where you got to, you got to think about it from that perspective. The prices are 3,500 bucks to start at core. It's, I think it's actually 3,700. And then yeah. on up to, I mean, you can pay for a 10 top with an artist package, 4,500 bucks. And then that can go all the way up to $10,000 for a wood library guitar, where yeah. you get to pick yeah. everything. And do yeah. all kinds of craziness to it, um, yeah. which I'm not advocating you do that. What I'm what I'm saying is, um, when I'm talking about custom shop and the, the whole genesis behind this topic was, you know, custom shop is it all that great? So what do you get from Fender? And this is why I started to this is why where I sort of started to do a about face here. What do you get from Fender's custom shop? I mean, what what do okay. you get from Fender's custom shop, Jim? What is it? What is it? Okay. What does it mean to you? Yeah. yeah. So I've seen, uh, obviously, working at Guitar Center and going there all the time, um, this is what I see from Fender Custom Shop, at least the ones that show up in the stores. Not the ones, again, that's not master-built, so they're a completely different thing. Um, the custom shops come in, and they are well-worn. They're worn in. 
feel good. Yeah, in general. In general. In general, they feel really good. Um, You're not going to get... Well, I'm not going to say it could never happen because I'm sure somebody's going to say, but Jim, I did have one. It's highly unlikely you're going to get a guitar from the custom shop that's going to feel bad. That's going to be... Um, the setup is going to be good. Um, the, the, the guitar is going to feel right. I mean, it might not be set up for you, but the setup is going to be, you know, the, the guitar will have been gone through with a fine two coat. And the, the you know, the rounding of the fretboard is right. The frets are right. The feel is right. I mean, just the overall general consensus of the guitar is good. Now, the, the problem I have with these, and I don't care if it's Gibson or Fender. Well, maybe I shouldn't say anything yet, but I'm just going to say it anyway because I'm already going down a rabbit hole. People will get them. They'll be, oh man, I've never felt to, you know, buy anything so good. The following week, what pickups should I get? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> there was a, um, uh, there was an admiral um, who was in charge. His name was Rick Over. Now, if you look up Admiral Rickover, he was in charge of the of the nuclear propulsion um, division of the Navy, and he literally um, interviewed every single officer that was brought into nuclear propulsion. Now, you know, knock on wood, there's never been an incident in nuclear propulsion in the United States military. Now... That's because those people are gone over with a fine-tooth comb. I'm, go- I'm going somewhere with this. One of the things... Now, this, this is a bit of urban legend, but it's true. There's a, there's a lot of truth because I spoke to these guys. A lot of truth to it. So, Rickover would take them out to dinner. That's, this is an example of a thing you would do. Take an officer out to dinner, and then he'd watch them eat. And a lot of the decisions he made... Or the nuclear, whether or not that person went to the nuclear um, navy, came from whether or not the person put spices on their food, salt, pepper, whatever, before or after they tasted their food. And so I say that because the first thing I hear from someone who has just got a custom shop guitar is, I got to get new pickups. Got to get new pickups. You haven't even tasted your food yet. What are you doing? And so this is what I'm going at with the custom shop. The word custom loses a lot of its um, core meaning if you're getting a guitar that you've got to then change out the pickups. I mean, I understand it comes from a certain shop, and the name of that shop is custom. And the word custom is on it. I mean, let's face it, the Les Paul custom is called custom all right but is it really custom at that point i mean i don't I, I that's what i'm getting at so that's why i said you know is it really all that i mean if what you're getting is a finely tuned well-tuned neck go through some of the higher end necks whether it's a, a player two or a or a um, lux or an ultra lux or whatever and i should say ultra lux or ultra um if you're gonna fender or whatever Go through some of those and, and feel them. Find one you like. Get it. And if you want custom, if you really want it to be yours, and I think we're afraid to do this because this is where I go to, this is custom. 
and and I know we're going to talk about more about this later, but don't be afraid to do something to the damn neck of the guitar to make it yours. Um, because in all reality, the thing that, that should really matter in the beginning is the feel. If You know, pickups can be changed out and electronics can be changed out. But if that neck doesn't feel right, that for me, that's the beginning. If I put my hand on the neck and I don't like to feel the neck, I'm putting the guitar back. I don't care if it costs $10 or $10,000. But I don't like the feel of it. I'm not going to stay with it. So um, the, the, I don't know if I'm going in the right place, if you're looking for the right thing, or if I said the, the thing that we're looking for. But um, in other words, what I see with customs and what I've felt with customs is they feel right. That neck is typically good. I, I have a good beginning. That's what I'll say there. I'm going to say something that's going to be very startling to many people. I played, okay. a, cu- I played a couple of custom shop guitars, probably mm-hmm. 10, 12 at this point yep. uh, over the years. Um, I've never found one I was like, yeah, it's worth three thirty-five hundred bucks. Now, nope. uh, I've been asking this question for a long time. So, like, I always thought the custom shop was supposed to be for the actual professional. Like the guy that's, you know, on tour, he does 50 dates a year or 100 dates a year, does studio work, that kind of thing. And so, like, that's the reason you buy a custom shop guitar. Um, I now realize that's not really what it's aimed at. Okay. So, if I was going to go on tour, um, I wouldn't buy a custom shop guitar. I would buy a production one. And I'll tell you why the production ones like, and then, and then this is sort of the reason why I don't really like Fender all that much. Fender has positioned it so that the people in the know have to buy custom shop to get what they want. Um, and I'm not talking about the fact that like there are features missing on their guitars that I want, but I'm talking about mm-hmm. basics. So if you're familiar with Stratocasters, if you've owned Vinny, if you're an enthusiast, you've probably heard of Callahan Bridges. Okay. Some mm-hmm. forum somewhere, somebody said, Callahan bridges are great. I've owned a Callahan bridge block. I didn't own the bridge itself. Um, and uh, I didn't personally have a huge bit of difference with the block, but talking to other folks and who bought the whole trim or talking to folks who... Um, are a little bit more knowledgeable about the block side of things. So, like, there's a reason why my S500, I always talk about the fact that it's got a steel bridge block in it. Because it does have an impact. Um, it had an impact when I had one. I just didn't think it was significant enough to spend the money again. But the whole right. bridge... Now, here's the, here's what I found out uh, posthumously. And this may be one of those things where people dispute this in the comments below. But I have been told by Fender, a Fender rep at one point that the reason you want to go to a custom shop, go to the custom shop for strats yep. is because custom shop is the only part of the company that uses the original tooling for the six for the six screw hole bridge. Okay. So the two the reason why they went to the two post in the late 90s was because that was a superior design to the six hole because at the time they had CBS and when they came in. Uh, actually, I think it was prior to CBS. I think it was the last few years that Neil ran the company. They changed the angle of the bridge, the way it, the way that the so in the front there's a there's a 
like a chamfer where it bends up, right? And it and it 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 pivots on. They change that angle. They change where it's located. And because of that, it affected the guitar's ability to stay in tune when using the tremolo. And so it also affected things like how much the tremolo moves when you do a bend. Um, and it affected the need for the claw, you know, for the claw and the springs um, and all of that. And it also affected the brake angle of the saddles, which has an effect on tone as well. Which is why the Callahan Bridge thing is is it exists because they're making a bridge that is correct to the original Fender design spec. This is not the only thing that has happened to those guitars over the years. But the only way you can get it done the way they did it in the fifties and the early sixties, like sixty one, sixty two, is to go to the custom shop. And they have done this for a reason. They did the custom shop reissue guitars, right? Like, or not the custom shop reissues, but the regular reissue guitars, the the sixty, the fifty seven, the sixties, the seventies, um, over the years. And those are not period correct because even though they use parts that are similar, they don't use the original spec. Even a fifty seven Strat reissue, because I don't even know if they're doing that anymore. They might call it fifties Strat now. Um, yeah. When they were doing the fifty seven reissues, they didn't have the correct tooling to make that bridge the way they used to. Um, now, I don't know why they changed it. Uh, I suspect people were breaking strings or something. And they were like, we just need to change the angle because then it will soften the impact of the uh, saddle against the string. Not realizing, because, yeah. you know, guitars in sympathy, electric guitars in sympathy, not realizing that would affect the tremolo, not feeling, not realizing that that would affect um, the string or the, the uh, tone of the string against the saddle. Um, and, and even the, the uh, string's position against the saddle. Uh, maybe before it was looser, and when you'd bend up, it would bend the string against the saddle, and so it would actually move in the saddle, which wouldn't cause the bridge to move as much. I don't know. I I, I have zero experience other than playing the few custom shop strats I have um, to understand that whole thing. But it happened with pickups too, uh, which is another thing that people don't understand is like some of the wires and stuff that they use to make those original pickups. The only way you can get that now is to go to the custom shop. And I'm not talking about the 57 custom pickups or whatever it is they're calling them now, like whatever pickup they're putting on now. Um, it's like, yeah, you can put custom on it, but that doesn't mean it's made by the custom shop. Do you know what I mean? Well, like, it's that's not exactly what I was saying. Yeah. So, so then it's like, let's get, let's get even deeper in it. So that's Fender, right? Like that's the way Fender's done things is that they have actually artificially, and they know, by the way, they know all this shit. They know that they're not using the original tooling for the rest of the line. And they know that if you want anything other than the two post bridge, if you want a six post bridge, you're going to have to go over to custom shop to get it. And that's an artificial line that they have drawn in the sand for people who are, you know, I want one with a tremolo that works. Well, here's the custom shop, right? That's the artificial line in the sand that they've drawn um, until they reverse some of those decisions or admit that it's going on. I just, I have no desire to own one. Now, uh, the other thing is materials. They don't use the same materials they used to use. And the only way you get those original materials is to go over to the custom shop, right? And I'm not talking about finish. I'm talking about the hardware. I'm talking, like I said, the wire, even the pots, the caps, all the stuff that makes a guitar go. Even the fret wire is different on custom shop from what I understand because they're using a more, it is not correct, but it is a more period correct fret wire that they use 
on the custom shop models compared to what they use today. Now, so for my for my purpose and my money, you can go buy an American Strat, any of the American line, right? Which is going to run you yep. anywhere from twelve hundred to two thousand bucks. If you want right. one with a six post bridge, you drop the you drop the Callaham in there, right? That's two hundred fifty bucks or three hundred bucks, and you're done. You've got eighty percent of the way there. Um, because let's face it, like the front material might have a difference, but but ultimately you're going to wear the guitar out. You're probably going to have a refretted anyway if you're buying a custom shop instrument because um, you're going to play the crap out of it. So it's like, what's the point? You're talking about wear and and um, and comfortability. I think that only matters if you're getting a guitar that's relic. Because I've played, um, I played a closet classic. I know, I know, I've played several relic guitars from them, and I've also played um, some of the ones that are like untouched, like they're just like just came out of the case, brand new. And honestly, like the only thing I felt was more comfortable was the relic ones. Even the closet classic was like. <laughs> not, yeah. re- not really. Yep. Um, yep. And that only, so as far as the comfortability in the neck goes, we talked about playability in the last episode. This is when you played a guitar that wasn't playable. Like it might be more yeah, comfortable. Exactly. But the reality is you're going to get used to it and then it'll be comfortable yep. to you anyway. And so, then it'll be comfortable. That's right. It's like a pillow the first few days you use it. Um, now, you know, this is, this is the point I wanted to make though, because we didn't talk about other, I didn't talk about other companies. I was just talking about Feather. Do you, Knowing that Fender Custom Shop was the first real custom shop that any of these companies offered um, back in what, like 84, I think it started? Uh, yeah. 84, 86. Like it's it's old. Somewhere right? in the mid 80s. Yeah. So, yeah. and originally, I think it was not open to the public. I think it was only for like AR people. And then they sort of opened it to the public quietly and it grew into a real business model. Um, Gibson followed suit very shortly thereafter. And then everybody started opening their custom shop to the public because everybody always had one. It was it was an AR thing. Like if you were an artist right. for them and you're working for Kramer, they'll make you whatever the hell you want. I mean, right. um, and they'll put somebody else's logo on it. They didn't care. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's why I, I bring this up is because if Fender's doing that and then everybody falls suit, don't you think they're looking at their business model too and going, we got to do what they're doing because it's already successful. And so I think yeah. I think Gibson does it to an extent. I don't think it's exactly the same. Gibson's stuff is way more high end from their from their custom shop, especially today. Like like the fifty nine yeah. reissue is like insane. Oh. R nine is yeah. what like seven grand now. Or well, ten grand the, now. It, it, no, it, the R eights and R nines are in the four and a half to five and a half thousand. Um, they're not that much. Um, it's with the Murphy you, Lab stuff that does what you were talking about. Are you sure? Because I, because I, I, somebody reached out to me the other day and was actually yeah. asking me. There was somebody from Germany that I know um, was asking yeah. me about. So you art. could look at. Uh, you can look right at guitar center and say, "Okay, I want a um, Gibson R9." Um, whoops, R9. Yeah, I thought and, they were going up in price. So, like, here's one for ten thousand. The used ones are for Murphy Lab. You no, that's a wildwood. Okay, used ones are going oh, for wildwood. Used yeah. ones well, are going for five. Used ones are going for five thousand dollars. Um, so I mean, that's why I was like, I I think they're between uh-oh. six and seven thousand dollars now. They just raised the price on them like last year. Um, uh, we go uh, fifty nine. Yeah. So a fifty nine Les Paul custom shop uh, is sixty five hundred bucks. Yeah, so and they're they're almost seven grand now. I mean, they're seven the grand. Leroy Parnell, 
which is a is a different thing altogether. That's that's seventy five hundred. But Leroy Parnell is because that's the guy they that's like getting a slash version of a custom shop. So, um, but yeah, a, a BOTB. So yeah, sixty five hundred. That's about right. Um, uh, let's see, and, and a lot of times it depends on your color. Sometimes they'll come out with a different color, and they'll come out. Um, a custom, a, a Les Paul custom, is still forty six, forty six or forty seven hundred dollars. That's a Les Paul custom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but I, let me let me say something different about Gibson. Than I'm not, I'm not saying Gibson's better than Fender. This is what Fender does that that kind of irked me when I was choosing my Fender. So I sat down. And I played a dozen Fender American-made Stratocasters. Production to choose this one. Production did not even look at a. I didn't want to spend that much money on a. Uh, that's the truth. On a um, custom shop because I didn't feel. This is me. I didn't get feel that I got the value out of a custom shop that it would get out of a out of a. Because to me, a custom shop. You're in the, the same opinion that I am. Is is a regular old Fender production series with the word custom shop stuck on the back. And I'll and I'll give my opinion on Gibson in a second because I'm very similar. Um so I got my my um uh, Fender Deluxe, or I mean my Fender uh, uh, Ultra, but the, the reason I picked the Ultra was because I sat down with an American, a pro, and the Ultra. And you know what's funny? All of them felt really good. All of them sounded really good. They were all very good guitars. And they were all pretty similar, too. And the similarities were so close, it was microscopic. But if you go to, if you look at an American standard, okay, right now, which is called something else. It's got a different name. How long Um, do you think it's going to be before they actually go back to American standard? I don't know. It can't, it can't be too long. What the hell they call it? American Not the American original. It's American professional. Performer. Oh, I thought it was performer. professional. Yeah, no, the performer, then the professional, then the then Okay. The so if you go to the performer, okay, um, they have the push-pull pots, the modern C nine-and-a-half-inch radius, you know, the classic gibble. What have you got? You've got a six-point trim, if I remember correctly, or at least at that time they did. Which automatically, so, you'd rather have the two-point because that I was done correctly. So I was like, okay, this one, this one falls off a little bit. Um, now remember, I'm playing at, at that time. I'm paying uh, Guitar Center employee pricing, and they have the two instead of the one string tree, which means that there's the little um, things aren't height adjusted for where they are. So then I said, all right, let's look at the next one up. And the next one up is obviously the um, perf- the professional. And now it's professional too, which added some stuff, by the way. And they and these were really good. I mean, again, I can't I can't complain about the professional. All right. Um so when I looked at the professional, and this thing for some reason didn't do what I wanted to, there we go. So that, now I'm in the $1,500 range, which I didn't pay that, but still. And so I looked at the trim. I got a two-point trim now, but it's a 
it's a chintzier looking two point trim. Have you looked at the trim? The the little um, now this is me. I'm not crazy about those little um, tab things that come out that, that are the saddles. That that when you have the string out there, they're kind of floppy this way instead of just. I don't, I don't they know can what go this way. Um, look at the professional at the bridge block of the professional. You know what I'm talking about? It's like a. Um, it's a weird block. Instead of being a block, like around the ultras, it's more hollowed out. Are you, a two point. Are you talking about the saddles? Yeah, the saddles. Okay. I'm just not crazy about those saddles. Now, that's not the only thing. Yeah, the bent steel saddles, which is like, yeah. that is the sound of a strap. Okay. That it is. There, there's no question about that. That would just weren't my favorites. But here's the bigger thing that that got me. Um, and they fixed this on the new one. One, by the way, was the back of the neck um, was a little less satin, and they didn't have the cutaway. And I wanted a little bit of a cutaway, not extreme. I'm not a I'm not a high high up player. A little bit of cutaway, which they put on the new um, the new professional twos, and they've got the thing. But what they didn't do, and this is the thing I still can't understand what they didn't do, why they didn't do it, locking tuners. I like having locking tuners because I'm a live player. If I got to change a string, it's got to be fast. I just want to pull it through, lock it down, cut it off. Last question. So, yep. So, what's different about your uh, American Professional Ultra Bridge saddle wise? Than the other one. My Ultra? Yeah. Because I'm looking at the Ultra right now, and it has bent steel saddles. Well, here, I'll, let me grab it for you. Hold on. I'll show you. Does it have... Is it has bent steel saddles on it? Or are they... Are, are, are these... Oh, okay. So they've changed it because they've gone back to the bent steel, I think. The Ultra Lux might have the bent steel. No, the regular Ultra right now has gone back really? to American Professional 2. Oh, this isn't an Ultra. I, wait a minute. I was looking at Ultra a minute ago. Are they not doing the Ultra anymore? They got the, they got the Ultra Lux, but they do have the Ultra. Okay, if you go to Fender.com... No, no, I'm, um, I'm, I'm a guitar center because Fender will have um, models on there that may not be available in stores anymore. Yeah, they might. They might not. And, and a lot of them, I think the Ultras are getting blown out. Yeah, they're not doing the Ultras anymore, I don't think. Or if they are, it's in a limited quantity. And I'm not, and you know I'm not crazy okay, about so the, these. Uh, have, no, these have the modern saddle. Okay, it makes sense. Those modern okay. saddles, I mean, they, they decrease string breakage. It's about all they do. Yeah, really, that's really, really because they have the same problem that the steel saddle does, that, that the string can slide, slide side to side. It's just that yep. the, they're more direct to the center. And it really has to do with how you have the post adjusted. I've never had a problem and with string so, slippage on one. So. There, here's something that they don't talk about when they talk about the cutaway on the professional versus the ultra. Okay. See this cutaway as I move it? Mm -hmm. See how it's it's got an angle. Okay, so it doesn't just cut in this whole bit from here to here from the from the um, I don't know what do you call this bout the lower bout to the upper bout. 
it is angled in across the guitar. See? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that whole thing is angled in. The professional does not do that. Okay. So when you're playing up here, that's a, it, it's just a feel up here. That's all. When you're playing up here, it literally just falls into your hand. All right. Um, all I want to talk about is what does this have to do with custom shop? Well, the custom shop doesn't do that, number one. That's number one. But they can. Probably more you can ask for it. They can. That's right. You can. Well, then I'm getting a built, a more of a custom custom. But here's the, here's the important thing that I, that I take away from it. This neck feels just as good as a custom shop. No. To me. That's right. what I was getting. All right. So it's worth it. But you could talk about wear in and you could talk about the little finger things on the fretboard. But the truth of the matter, but that's the high, high end of the custom shop. But still, you know, and you were talking about that. They call it, what do they call it? A bigger wear. The, um, the, they have relic and then they have time machine yeah, and then they the have, ultra, or the, then they yeah, have the relic, uh, the closet queen or whatever, the closet classic. They call yeah. it closet and this queen, is closet classic. this is not. Um, pointed at somebody like that that wants a 60s seven and a half inch radius or nine and a half or a seven and a quarter inch. I, nine I don't understand the market for custom shop. I actually don't understand the market for, for at least Fender's custom shop because they're not collectible. Yeah. Like people no. seem to think they're collectible. They're, they do a not. small subset of guitars every year that are collectible, but like, like weird. Yeah, but but those aren't really even collectible because even though they're numbered, they're not. It's not like they're go they, they're highly sought after. You know what I mean? Like collectability right. comes from two things. It comes from rarity and it comes from desirability. And right. that's why I'm like, they're just custom shop guitars that are like done in a super limited run. It doesn't make them necessarily desirable. Well, that's, yeah. And that's the other side of it with me was um, this guitar. Uh, and I, and I had a custom shop in my hand when I was there. And, and the thing is that, that I didn't, I didn't feel it was any better. It wasn't worse. The custom shop wasn't worse, but there's a lot of these modern accoutrements that I get. I do like, I do like this bridge. I do like this cutaway. I do like the, the neck that changes radius. Um, and it's only a small change. It's from 10 to 14. Yeah. But it's um, noticeable when you play them, it's noticeable. Yeah. Compound is definitely oh, yeah. noticeable. Way noticeable up here. Um, but the, but you know, um, just to, to put a pin in it, um, it, it was the right guitar for me and I just don't get the custom shop thing. If I'm going to spend that kind of money on a guitar and, and I don't know if they retain their value or not, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, but the, the custom shop guitar is just, unless, like you said, it's like Stevie Ray Vaughan, the, that, that $40,000 That's a whole other, that's a whole other that's thing, whole, though. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it, is a, it is a custom shop instrument, but, like, that's not their bread and butter. That's the Corvette no. they offer to get you in the door. Um, so, put I'm a pin on, I want to put a, I wanna put a pin on the Gibson side of it, because um, yeah. you, can go ahead, you can go hang that back up. I'll, I'll talk to the audience for a minute. You, you, you'll see where this is going when you come back, I'm sure. So, okay. with Gibson, when you do... Um, custom shop like i went to so i'll just share this story i went to i went to chicago music exchange i'm local to them i can go down there and i played i don't know how many custom shop gibsons i played that day but i played a couple of them probably neighborhood of 10 um i played like four or five sgs it was actually the day i bought my sg um i went back there and i played four or five sgs 
I played, I think, two custom shop Les Pauls. It was the first time I played uh, a VOS uh, Les Paul. I think, it, I think it was a VOS. And I know I played like a custom and I played two used ones they had hanging. And um, here's my takeaway. So you'd think go in there and play this, this, and this, custom shop, whatever, you know. These are amazing items and like, wow. Um, actually, my my I, I walked out with a standard. Um, now, I couldn't have afforded a custom shop at that time, but I was like, I don't really think that I... So l- let me put it to you this way. I picked up an SG, I played it, and then I played the, the one I bought, and then I played the other one, and then I that's when I realized it was custom shop. I looked down at the tag and I went... Holy crap, this one's $6,500. And I was just kind of like got because I was like, the one I'm playing over here is like the same guitar. I mean, it played literally the same. I was like, that's dumb. Who would do that? Um, And I had that perspective on every one of them I played at that time, which was like, I could grab the Epiphone or the, you know, or the, or the, the used Gibson one that they had or, you know, and like it would have matched up favorably. Like they would have been basically the same. Uh, I know that they're not 100% the same. Obviously electronics are different, but in terms of playability, in terms of feel, I didn't really see a huge difference. The ones that were relic, um, they had a couple that were relic nicely, but they had a couple that were like cheese city. And uh, we've talked about Gibson's relicing being kind of crap. It just depends on the guitar. It's guitar to guitar who did it, you know, right? Like which which technician yeah. did it? Because yeah. that's yeah. that's uh, has a lot to do with that. But um, yeah, that's why they put Murphy in charge of the lab now. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, I is he relicking them all? Because <laughs> like I we all no, see he's your got guitar team, hanging but... back. We got your Les Paul hanging back there too. Yeah. Um, we know mistakes happen, and that just means that it's going to get better. Yeah, but it may not. I mean, but it's still yeah. going to be a thing, and I'm sure that happens from the Fender Custom Shop too. Um, in fact, some of the Fender got in trouble a couple of years ago because somebody found out the Fender, a lot of Fender wear patterns are just CNC program and they mix and match pieces of a program to do the relics, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so. And you just scatter them out in different parts of the country and hope nobody sees them. But nowadays, yeah. social media, I got the same wear pattern that guy in Sweden has. Yeah, like my arm contour is, uh, my arm contour wear is literally the same as that dude's. Um, and it's like, yep, yep. <laughs> you know, um, they, they, that's not something that's going to go away, but that, you know, that's fine. Like, don't get mad at it. So anyway, long story short, um, as we get into this time period now where we're actually getting production relics, yeah. like that's a thing that's happening. It makes yeah. these guitars a little less like, why would you go to the custom shop? You know what I mean? Right. Like at that point. Um, other than the the uh, the features that they bake into them to draw a line in the sand, which they do, they right. do both on Gibson. Like if you think Gibson couldn't buy an couldn't build an R nine production, you're high. Like now, granted, when you get an R nine, it has like all the details to the point where they couldn't even authenticate it being versus standard or there. But I mean, what does it come down to? It comes down to the pickups. It comes down to the bridge. It comes down to the neck, the neck angle. Um, right. and all that stuff. They can replicate all that in production. They choose not to. They have set yeah. a bar for this is what you got to pay to get what you want. Yeah. Um, I just this is where I go with Gibson, and I, and it's very similar to to Fender in this way. 
Um, and, and I guess I, across the board for at least the two big ones is when it comes to custom shop, not Murphy Lab, not, you know, the, the thing I'm talking about, custom shop. Um, the truth of the matter is, I think it's just um, that it's a little more consistent. Consistent. I'm not and, even and, sure. And, I'm not even sure that's true. It just means that fewer hands were involved in the production of your yeah. instrument. Yeah. yeah, and there might but be a, there might be a higher is, quality control, but how, how would well, we that's know? where the consistency comes from. If you've only got three or four people versus dozens yeah. of people working in small shops, and, I can say that's patently false too. It just means you have less people to see the errors. I mean, that's that's and, basically what it boils well, down to. And consistently they're errored. Well, so so here's so here's my here's my thought process on this, and this is something again you can comment in the comments below. Um, this is my thought process on this. I sort of feel like custom shop stuff, like oh, it's fewer fewer production numbers, right? So it's like more consistent. But the chances of you having played more of them to know whether they're consistent or not, real low, right. real real right. So who would know? Right. Um, right. But, right, but I can say this: the ones that I have played, the ones that I have seen. I mean, uh, it's not hanging behind me. I don't me think right any now. of them are dog. I could, to be quite frank, I don't think I've ever played a dog shit custom shop guitar. But no. but it wouldn't surprise right. me if they exist. Oh yeah, and I, and it doesn't surprise me that dog shit standards exist. But the fact is, my standards. They're I fine. haven't played a custom shop one that I liked more. And so, yeah, I get my hands on them and I like them and they're pretty. That I'll give them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of them are. Look some of them are. Yeah. Some of them are just as ugly as they were when they were built in the fifties and sixties. Exactly. I'm not a plain top guy. Like I love flame. I love you know. I love action in the wood. I don't like, but some people love a plain top. You know, they they dig that. That thing. I think a plain top belongs with gold or black on it. <laughs> Put something over there. All right. All right. <laughs> we have we have almost hit an hour on this topic. We we've been talking about forty five minutes on this custom shopping. So let's let's go ahead and move on. Let's shift. So now we're going to be able to talk about something that actually I was editing an episode today and I I zeroed in on a phrase that I had and I want to sort of take ten minutes to expound on it. Um, I said. Not being, I was not able to afford expensive and cheap. Now, Jim, share with me what that phrase means to you, and then I'll explain why I think it's a little bit more interesting than that. Yeah. Well, to me, it just means I can either afford to buy expensive guitars or I can afford to buy a lot of cheap guitars. I can't afford to buy both. I can't afford to do, do both. I can either afford to buy a buttload of, of Fireflies or a couple of nicer guitars. And I make my decision based on that. Okay. All right. That's pretty straightforward, cut and dry. So there is that part of what I said that, that obviously makes sense. And I think in the context that I used it, I was kind of hinting at that. But what I really thought was interesting is as I was listening to it, I was like, wait a minute, but there's other wisdom here. And I realized, um, if you think about it from this perspective, as a practical guitarist, i.e. someone who practices guitar, in other words, makes a little bit of money here and there doing it. Um, it doesn't make sense to me to go into a gigging situation, um, with a guitar that's not going to be able to perform or like, I have any doubts about, 
And so what I mean by afford that is um, it doesn't necessarily mean you, you can afford, you can uh, have problems that you can't afford. It doesn't necessarily mean it has, it has to be a cash relationship. But like in my situation, I can't afford expensive guitars because literally financial reasons, right? But I can't afford cheap guitars because that's going to hold me back. And it's not about money. It's just, it's just the, um, it's going to hold me back. It's going to keep me from being able to get gigs. And so like it affects me in a different way. That's kind of the way I was thinking about it. I thought it was really, really interesting to, to take a step back and kind of like examine that a little bit further. So, um, you're talking about, uh, we, of course we've been, we've hammered this subject in the last couple of episodes, but we're not going to spend a bunch of time on it. You can go back and listen to those episodes, but like buying. So right now the big cheap guitar, right. is buying like square bullets and like cheap Amazon guitars. Yeah. Firefly Fire, comes to my hair, Donner, you know, yep. million other companies. Um, and expensive guitars like custom shop and above, right? So um, I don't really see. So we've talked, we've kind of talked about our our delineation has changed over the period of time of the show because we used we used to say seven hundred fifty dollars when where Pro started, yeah. um, all the way up to sky's limit, right? And now we're yeah. thinking more. It's like a thousand bucks is where pros start, all the way up to sky's limit. And it's not that you can't get a playable guitar down to five hundred bucks. Like a really right. good guitar you can gig with. But the reality is that the the market focus on the $500 guitar is more on the low end side of the market or on somebody who just needs like the basic accoutrements to get through, you know, their church gig or something like that. It's not, yep. it's not focused on players who like are going to ride the guitar hard and put it away wet. Right. Um, right. Which is, which is where I like to count myself. Although probably don't fit into that category as well as I'd like. Um, so as far as like um why you wouldn't want to gig a cheap guitar and like why you wouldn't want to have a cheap guitar I I think we can take a few minutes to talk about that so like why I can't afford one um obviously right. there's the monetary thing that if I was going to have you know if I was going to pick my guitars I pick a couple of middle of the road ones and then maybe I couldn't afford the cheap ones cuz I already had the middle of the road ones obviously that's a thing but like um so if I was going to go in this situation, I was going to think about it from the other perspective and talk about why cheap guitars are not a thing for me. First thing I would mm -hmm. probably talk about is hardware. Um, mm -hmm. And the fact that like the hardware doesn't work as well. So we just, we just got done talking about car, uh, uh, custom shop strats and stuff um, and how they have the original tooling. So they got the bridge angle right and all that yep. kind of stuff. Um, and when I think about, um, like the other guitars, the cheap end of the market, what the problem is, is like, they are made with pot metal. If you're not familiar with pot metal is, it's like a, like a slang term for metal that is basically just slag. It's the, the, the garbage that gets melted down and then cast into something and then chrome plated so that you don't know that it's garbage. And they do a really good job of making it look really good. But I'm willing to bet that your bullet strat has what I would call either a pot metal or a slag bridge. And your your bridge blocks all the way up into the high end defender are slag. They're zinc or or some or they're not even cold rolled steel. They're zinc and they're like slag. Oh, in the square line, they're probably slag for the most part. Um and like that kind of stuff is where I know people think that this stuff doesn't matter, but once you realize like 
one of the first things that a lot of players do is replace the bridge when they buy a Fender Strat, even like the higher end ones. Uh, they go to, right to Callahan, right? Or or Babix or somebody and, do, and get a drop in replacement bridge. Super V is another company. Uh, Super, <laughs> Super V is another company that does a replacement Strat bridge. It's very widely thought of. Um, that makes you start to realize like, or go to five tens now is the thing too. Yeah. Um, yeah. that's the thing that makes you realize like, Hmm, there's something wrong here. Um, and why I, I can't afford to buy problem. Right. Um, otherwise pickups, that's a huge issue. Like I've never played a guitar sub, sub $200 where I thought the pickups were worth it. Um, where I wouldn't have swapped them cause they're, cause they like, genuinely are not great uh the rare exception is some of the squire guitars i think the pickups are a lot more passable than people realize which is hilarious because the wire is made out of slag uh it is basically like form bar made from i say form bar but you know air quotes made from melted down recycled materials um it's conductive i mean you could you could say that much about it and even the pickups like aren't even they're not even like the the parent pickups in that their bridge plate pickup, like there's a bridge mag, there's a bar magnet underneath the pickup, and the pull pieces are just yeah, steel. Yeah. Um, well, They're steel magnet, magnetized, magnetized yeah. slag. The steel. Magnetized. Yeah. So it's some right, and that's that's some what, aerous material. Let's just call it that. Yeah, that's why I, that's why I shy away from them because it, mostly because of the hardware, right? But also, yeah. like the the front end's playability thing, that's no big deal. Right, like that's a problem you can solve with with okay. the right the right real theory. Um, but even like so, if you look at Squire, like the bullet bridges are not the bullet bridges, but like a bullet neck, the finish on it's weird. And why are those guitars like the 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 maple always looks white, um, like China white, whereas on like, and it's not. It, it, I'm sure it's a tint thing because maple is generally a pretty light colored wood. Um, but why don't they tint those necks? I don't understand Whereas why. Whereas mine is not white. Yeah, well, yours has um, been, yours is vintage tint. I can tell by looking yeah. at it. Um, so that's just that's just little stuff. And of course, like um, even even things like skimping on body weight. So my first guitar was a Samick, and the body was maybe an inch and a half thick. I mean, it's like yeah. that thick. Yeah. My Strats, they're like that thick. They're at least twice as thick. Which is why I'm like, wait a minute, yeah, why'd that happen? Because they were trying to be cheap, right? You know, uh, can I? Yeah, let me. So I was in the dollar store the other day, and this this comes to the guitars. So I'm sitting in the guitar store in the dollar store, and I'm at the checkout counter. And I'm the kind of guy that'll buy a candy bar on the way out the door. So I'm looking to, I buy a Snickers, and then I'm like, I just paid a dollar, and the the part of my brain goes. I paid a dollar for that Snickers. That's that's a cheap Snickers. But then you look at the size of the Snickers and you realize that Snickers this big. The Snickers you get at Walmart is this big. So this one that was a dollar, this one that was a dollar eighty six, and one was this thin and one was this thick. Yeah, you get my point, right? They play with so the then, proportions. Yeah. So then I start going, hmm. So I look at the bridge material on a cheaper guitar and i go hmm I, I look at it and then i look at a more expensive guitar and i look at the cheaper guitar and I look at the more. i'm like they're, they're going thinner and then 
I feel it. And that's what I was talking about with those bridges. I probably shouldn't have said the type of bridge. Probably should have said what the bridge is made of and the feel of the bridge. And it probably goes speaks to what you're talking about. This bridge might not be the greatest. Well, I, I understand people right? having that fear about the bent steel saddles that you brought up, which is, and I'm going to say this because this might be broadcast out of order. Um, right. Because the, the bent steel saddles, Jim, Jim mentioned that like they, the string may slide against them. It's not really an issue because of the brake angle and where the where the string slit sits in the slot. But yep. I understand why you would have that apprehension because of the design of it. Yeah, I just feel like it. Cheap. It just feels cheaper. That's me. Yeah. Um, because it's a, it, it, again, it's a, it's a metal that's scooped out, and, I, and I'm like, where where's the rest? But it was dyed that way. It was die cast. That way. Yeah, those, not, are, those are, I think those are remove the metal. So, so t- traditionally, they're, they call them bent steel, but I don't know if they're actually bent yeah. or die cast. I they, look die, cast. They, look, they look cast. They look die cast. Um, so my point is, you know, you, you can, you could buy a dollar store toy. Here's, and, and I'm going to go to this. You could buy a dollar store toy. That's a car and go room, 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 but it's, and it's fun. It's a car. It's an, and there's nothing wrong with it. Right, but you're not going to put that dollar store toy car against a a Mattel. Is it Mattel that makes Matchbox? Yeah, right. Matchbox. Mattel Matchbox. Hot Wheels. Right, because in 40 years that dollar store toy is not going to look like that Matchbox did. And I guess it gets to this for me. Um, what you were just talking about is is so important. I could play. Do you know when the last time I broke a string was? Once in years, I just broke a string, and before that, it was three or four years ago that I broke a string. So, to break strings for me is an is an odd thing, and that's because and I play with some fierce strike, but um, it is because I I have I, I feel it's because I'm using quality equipment and quality stuff. But this gets to this, and and I'll let you take it back. The the um, holding you back has just as much to do with, yes, I'm going to have to do maintenance on these, but how much maintenance? Yes, I do have to, you know, wipe it, clean it. Yep, you're right. Or those magnets on the guitar. To, right. But where is that line? And everybody's line is different of how much time I'm willing to put into that part Versus the playing part, versus the gaming part, versus the other parts. Go ahead. No, I think I mean I should echo what you're saying, but like in terms of the cheap guitar, like that you upgrade, because I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's what I'm going to do. If you do yeah. that, like I, from my personal perspective, if I'm going to spend a thousand dollars in guitar, I ain't changing anything. In it. Like pickups better be good because they ain't coming up. Um, now, as we get more inflated in prices, maybe that line of delineation starts to change for you but realistically if you buy a thousand dollar plus guitar you don't need to change any of the electronics they're probably fine unless they break um and so i look at that thing it's like oh yeah, i'm gonna change the pickups of these guitar and this this 200 dollars guitar i'm like dude like at that point it's not 500 guitar maybe you should just bought a 500 you know what yeah. i mean like that's kind of the way i look at it and but what kills me is most people will say, yeah, I'm going to change the pickups in this $200 guitar and I'm changing them with these $35 pickups. <laughs> well, so that's, that's like, what's that's a it. millennial thing right now is like, 
It I'm really is. GFS, and I'm going to buy yes. cheapo GFS pickups to replace the cheapo GFS pickups that are pretty much in it already. That are already in it. Yeah. What is the what? What's the other company that that sells that to Monotone, Model Price? Dude, the the fact yeah. that people buy used Epiphone pickups is still like it's just I I can't imagine. I can't. Um, and it's a thing. So yeah, just we'll leave it at that. So um. If you've enjoyed the content so far, please like, subscribe, uh, click the notification bell below if you want to, you know, listen to our idiots, uh, you know, us the idiots every time something happens. Uh, it'll yeah. it'll it'll notify you, and you and you'll be real upset. Um, you're going, damn it! I don't want this Seriously, YouTube. Um, Those guys suck. So uh, we wanted to talk. We have a couple of personal items. Uh, that we'd like to talk about for the remainder of this episode. So, like, first thing is uh, little things that are annoying. Jim, do you have do you have anything you'd like to share? I have one, and this could be a really short topic if we want it to be. It could be bonus content. So, why don't you go with yours first? So, my PRS, my brand new PRS, right? Um, I got two annoying things. First thing, I put my first dent in it this week. I put a dent in the back by hitting it into a mic stand, so it's mine now. Um, which I laughed about when it happened. I just went, huh, fuck it. It's mine now. Um, and like, literally, that's what I said. And it's it's a tiny, tiny little dent in it. But it's, you know, it's enough that, like, eh, I can identify it now. Something happens. Um, <laughs> you know, that's partially what I meant. But the other thing is, like, I can't return it now. Um, and the other thing was that uh, I was polishing it this evening because I took photos to put it in an episode um, so I could have this, you know, photo shoot, shoot over the screen. And there is a tiny, tiny little flake of something in the finish that is in a very obvious spot from where I am as a player when I look down at it. And it it's going to drive me mad the entire time I own the guitar. But it's kind of like, yeah, that's its unique thing, right? Like, it's got its little unique, like, what the hell is that? Um, and yep. maybe someday it gets buffed out because as you take it in and they, they polish it and stuff, if they ever use a buffing wheel on it, it might come out, um, which is something yeah, yeah. that could happen. Um, but it it just it it's gonna annoy me the entire time I own it. It's gonna be a thing. Um, yeah, go ahead. Can I tell you? Can you tell you a story? Yeah, sure. When my daughter was born, she had a, a birthmark, a very small birthmark. Did it annoy you? No. <laughs> but my wife was giving her a bath, and she's scrubbing, and the baby's crying. I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, she's got this. <laughs> Can't get it off. Kill that's a birthmark. <laughs> I can just <laughs> you think I was that's not the going, first person that's told me a story like that you're not the first person goes, who's told me a story like that well, remember the baby was brand new I mean it's not like we had her for a while it was <laughs> this baby was she was still fresh out of the packaging so um, you know we just got her in the house and she's like oh my god she got this spot and I think it literally like popped up it didn't like she yeah there's a lot of time that happens it just, it, it, it's not there yeah, when you're when they're born and, and it's gone now so it's like it was one of those birthmarks that just came and went but it, it's just a funny story but the the fact that i could just see you sitting there going i'm getting this oh. <laughs> the uh, guitar going ah! for about five minutes the thought crossed my mind is like i wonder if i could use some steel wool like i was just yeah. kind of thinking like no no, Jim, not no. That's a terrible idea. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> I got yeah. So my my um 
little things that annoy you. I'll, I'll tell you. So whoever bought this guitar between the time I had it the first time and the time I rebought it, do not do this, folks. Whoever had it obviously left a tuner on the headstock. Now, here's what Nitro does. Yeah, here's what a Nitro snark does, folks. tuner, because the snark pads are not good for your guitars. No. So it has two little circular things that you gotta you gotta you know you turn in a light and there it is and it's like you i i just like i could live with all the other crap you know <laughs> buckle rash and the, and the, the, the pick yard scrapes but are you fucking kidding me that you put a fucking snark on there and left it? you moron <laughs> but you know what though like it's a used guitar right like i know you yeah. had it first and you bought it a second yep. time but it's a used guitar. And that's why I bring it up. Like, at yeah. some point, you just got, even with the marks in the, in the PRS, you just got to say, it's a used guitar. Like, right. I'm going to use know, the crap out of it anyway. We can go into this more next week. But here's the thing. Here's, here's something that grinds my gears. People will pay a buttload of money for a relic guitar. Man, I want a guitar. Yeah, but they freak it's out when they do anything to the guitar. Buckle rash, and it's got freaking this and that. Look at this. Look at this neck, and you can see where all the... And they get a slight scratch in a new guitar. Now, and it's like... that. That's where that should come to. So I, I, and I understand that that might not be the same person. Okay, I get that. But I'm sitting there looking at a Murphy Lab ones, because I can't remember what channel. You know, everybody went to Summer Nam, so one of these channels went to Summer Nam, and they were showing the Murphy Lab things and every one of the murphy labs by the way had a buckle rash and i was like it's very similar but anyway i'm going to go back because that's what we were talking about just a minute ago and um I, i'm like buckle rash that's what everybody says they don't want i mean it, i wear my shirts untucked when i play now because i used to get buckle rash on my guitars and now i'm like should i let my guitars get buckle rash should i not what's the rules on this thing I think we really should discuss that. I mean, I I get it, and I don't get it. I've known people who, who have a problem. This is where it gets weird. They're like, well, I don't want a salesperson or anybody to have touched it between the time it left to the factory and the time it got to me. I'm like, you do know that human beings put the god dang thing in the box, right? And <laughs> packed it up, and they, and they built it. So, just saying. I, I, Why I would there be a problem with people having touched it? I know what you're saying, Jim. I'm just like, I'm asking our audience. Please, right. let us what know in the it? comments below. Why the hell would there be a problem <laughs> with someone having touched it? Can somebody explain this to me? Because I just don't get it. I don't. Yep. Um, oh, and, and last thing. This is for next week, folks. You guys tell me. So, I pre-ordered that Ibanez, right? It still won't come in until October. And I heard this on another channel. And I thought this was a good, this is a really good question. So, and I pre-ordered that, that uh, Game Changer audio pedal. Mm -hmm. the, um, right, right. The Bixby. All right, so I haven't got anything back on either one of them yet because obviously the the Bixby will probably. Are that, you that thinking about pre-sailing pre them on reverb? That was they. 
they well no they they pre-sold that no um they sold that but they said it was five to eight weeks so i'm guessing i'll get that in august maybe first week of september if it gets to the eight week part right so i should see that soon but the um uh, because they had some that were available for sale and I got in to those that are, that are available for sale. So either they're not quite finished or whatever, because I'm sure that these are a little bit, I mean, these are boutique pedals. Right. But, um, anyway, so the, the thing I'm getting at is when do you lose the excitement? Well, my money's gone or at least spoken for in the, in the case of game changer, it's gone. They took their money in the case of, uh, uh, Ibanez, the money is spoken for because I got to have a you know I got a thousand dollars plus tax shipping right. whatever when when it comes in. What? Where do you lose the excitement and go? Eh, maybe maybe I'm not as excited about it. You know what I mean? I mean that's I think that's a good question for people. Yeah, and, and it's always an individual question, obviously. So I'd love to get some feedback on that. Is it that? What do you think is is an appropriate amount of time that you would wait? And, and then you'd probably go, I don't know if I can wait that long. Just remember, we know someone who's been waiting on an amp for nine months. I wonder who that person is. I won't say for because I, <laughs> I know they're really sore about it. And yeah, but we know someone who's been waiting. I think it's actually more than nine months. Yeah. It's close to nine months. Um, so they, they could have had a yeah, child. They could have had a child. They yep. could have conceived and had the child born. Yes. <laughs> the amount of time they've been waiting. They might even have a first birthday before they see this amp. Mm -hmm. And those things are happening. Um, a lot of these uh, guitars, uh, people are waiting a year, some 18, 24 months right. on uh, stuff. So, yeah, yeah how, how I got stuff that I'm waiting on. I'm waiting on a case to come in. I'm waiting on. There's a couple. Yeah. Things. All right. So okay. one more topic. And this one is another personal. Like pops. Yeah. One more topic. This is a personal one. Let's talk about stupid things we've done to guitars. Stupid things I've done to guitars. Can I can I give two? Yeah, you could start. I'll let you start. Because I, I, I'm I probably going to win this competition. Let's make this very I clear. Told this story. But I'll, I'll give my first one, then, um, then my second one. They're both very short stories. Number one, my sil my Silvertone. Sears original. Oh, yeah, that one. You, yeah. <laughs> early, early 60s, late 50s model. Silvertone with the amp built into the case. I burned it. I literally torched it. Um, that that no longer exists. That <laughs> became that was ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Well, at, at least you were. It was one of the. Giving yeah, away, what, that's not good for the environment. What do you call that? Um, yeah, it is because I burned it in a field and it became um, uh, fodder for the next plants that grew up. Maybe. Except for the wires. Except for the wires. Those are, I'm sure, gone. I don't know. Because that was some shitty wiring, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and the glass for the tubes and stuff. All right. So, um, I think there were three or four tubes in there, to be honest with you. There's a lot of tubes in that thing. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing I did when I was a kid, my family said, if that's your guitar, you put your name on it. So that's what I did. Scratched my name, ran into everything I owned. I scratched my name into. Even into my 20s, I was scratching my name into my guitars. My, every acoustic guitar I owned, every electric guitar I owned. That was the thing, though. People used to yeah. own engravers at home. Yeah, that. that's what I was going to say. 
I I went and got one of those wood burning tools to sign my name. <laughs> I'm going to sign my name into these guitars, you sons of bitches. That's uh, and, yeah, all right, all right, all right. So, the, so you've got some very period specific awful right. things you've done. That's right. Let me explain to you some of the things I've done, and these are crimes against guitar. Um, and I, they, some of them are slightly embarrassing. Some of them have never, no one has ever heard them but me, um, or is aware of them. Crimes against humanity. I can remember. I guess we should start with Insamic, right? So I can remember taking the neck off the guitar with the strings on it and having the guitar, what I st- you know, <laughs> like that whole thing. Oh. yeah, with tension. I didn't even detune them. Oh, you didn't um, loosen them up. <laughs> I didn't even detune them. You know what's crazy? That guitar was super soft. It was the softest basswood I've ever seen. And when the neck flipped, I expected it to like leave a dent or something. It didn't do nothing. There wasn't even a finish crack from the. Usually, that's what what causes a finish crack is that somebody right. somebody doesn't. Is this somebody removed a neck? Well, they did, no. or they did. They, no, they do it the wrong way. So they take right. their strings off and they, or they loosen them or whatever. But when they take it off, they um they don't they relieve the tension the wrong way because because that yeah. you know it's a tension joint and that's how that that crack happens right. where they pull it out. And they don't pull yep. it. They don't pull it in a specific way. In the right. Yep. Yeah, and it goes right to left, and yeah. So, um, yeah. So I've done that. That's that's the thing I did. I took um, the next guitar I had. Uh, did I do that with that one? I was obsessed. I was obsessed with having a guitar that didn't buzz in any way. No fret rattle. Nothing. No one, no one. I took my guitar to multiple technicians in the four or five years that I owned that guitar. And no one could explain to me, and I, and I still hate these bastards for this to this day, all of the people that I took it to. Um, no one could explain to me that if the guitar doesn't buzz through an amp, you're fine. Mm. Okay. So I had a perfectly good fender neck. And I took a bastard file to it, okay, and I to the top of it, and I filed down the frets to try and make oh them God. to try and make them level, not realizing that you were supposed to do that evenly across the neck. And then I had the guitar. I I, I polished and crowned it with a Dremel using a jeweler's rouge, which actually works really great. If you've never done that before, that's a fantastic thing you could do. Um, yep. and then I took the guitar to a luthier sometime later who then did a crown and polish on it. And they said, well, it's a lot of wear in this guitar. No shit. Because I took a bastard file to it. Yeah. I can't remember if that was the fender or the Samic that I had that I did that to. Um, but it just drove me apeshit. That guitar would not, would not, uh, it was always buzzing no matter what I had, yep. what, you know, what they did to it. So um, I still have that guitar. If it was the Strat, I pulled the I pulled the frets out of it a few years ago, and I replaced them. Um, so oh, it's okay. got so it's got much bigger frets than it ever had in it. But I just remember thinking, like, God damn it, this will fix it. Like it's it's basically it's basically flat. Like I adjusted it flat. Um, I can right. remember I stripped a truss rod. That's something I've done. 
um, using the wrong using the wrong Allen wrench, um, Allen key. I have. I mean, did, I I got a I, this is a laundry list of crimes against guitars. Like this could go on. We're we're, we're gonna we're gonna give some good ones. We're we're not even done. Um, so I can remember my my Samick for whatever reason. I was like looking down the neck. I'm like it's clearly bowed. And my and my guitar teacher told me it was bowed. And so I was like, well, I'm gonna fix this thing. I got the manual that came with it, and it says just adjust the truss rod. Okay. So I tweak it, I tweak it, it's real, real tight. And I'm like, it must be good now. And then of course I look down the neck and I go, holy shit, <laughs> this is the next like this, <laughs> right? And so I'm like, all right, take it back the other way. <laughs> so then I loosened it to the point where there was like no tension in it. And it's, and then I look down the neck and it's like this, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, what the hell? And I ended up taking it in to get it adjusted because I was just like, what am I doing? But not knowing, like, if you over-tighten that rod, I could have broken it. Because I had, I mean, I had more torsional force on that neck than any neck I've ever owned. It was ridiculous. But it was a quarter-sawn neck. So I found that out later because I didn't know the difference between quarter-sawn. And I always just thought it was inferior wood. And then I saw, um, I saw somebody actually, like, talking about quarter-sawn. And I was like, oh. And I saw it and went, that's what that guitar had. It was quarter-sawn maple, not regular maple. Because it's just cut in a different way, obviously. But um, I've seen all the my friends' squire strats, right? They had uh, you know long pinstripey wood in them and stuff. And I was just kind of like, "This is weird. Why? Why do they have this? Why does this look this way? Um, and why is it? It doesn't look like mine. I, was, I had no idea that quarter song was like an actually desirable thing. Um, I bought. A Godin SDXT. I had a guitar for a number of years. It was one of my favorite guitars at the time. And um, is it had a single bridge humbucker and two and two uh, single coils. The bridge humbucker was really low output. And what I didn't understand, I, I was like, man, I really wish I could replace this pickup. It was pick guarded, and it had the two height adjustment screws in it. Two height adjustment screws. And Actually, uh, four, because there was two on each side. And I was like, well, I can't get another pickup to fit this. So I never replaced pickup in it. I just dealt with the low output humbucker the entire time I had it. Yeah, that was lame. Should have fixed that. Um, probably yep. would still have the guitar if I had fixed that. Um, I bought... Uh, oh, honestly, There's more things that I did in the Strat. Uh, Crimes Against Guitars. <laughs> Let's just think about this the right way. So that Strat... Uh, at some point, I got the bright idea to use steel wool um, for fret polishing, and I had no idea you're supposed to cover your pickups. Sorry, Nick, you can kill me. You hear me say that? Um, so I'm sure that guitar, oh my god, <laughs> has all kinds of fret filings in the pickups. I learned very quickly because I because for years I would take a tape and rub it against the pickup and pull off the stuff that had worked its way up to the to the magnets, but I'm sure that there's still debris of Oh yeah, down inside. Yeah, down inside the magnet. At some point those pickups are gonna they're not gonna work anymore. Um because nope. they're just kind of grind away until uh that's too funny. Yeah, so um what else have I done to oh I did copper copper shielding to that guitar. I did it with tape. One inch copper foil tape. 
with oh no, my gosh let me finish with no gloves on i literally just cut my hands to smithereens over a weekend <laughs> and start installing copper foil tape and then i was so like how do i get how do i use this as part of my ground that i finally just screwed a terminal like a like a a wiring terminal you use for your house or something into the guitar. You know, one with just a single screw with a little slot on it that you would crimp. And I just screwed it into the guitar and grounded everything to that. <laughs> yep. And a couple of years ago, I picked up the guitar. Uh, this is before I refretted it. Because um, that guitar sort of got retired. <laughs> and, and you'll understand why as I tell you some more of these stories. It would buzz like a mofo. And I did not, I still to this day do not understand why. Um, because I actually did fix the grounding on it. But yep. if you touch the bridge, it would stop, it would stop uh, buzzing like real bad. So I don't know. I, just, tell me in the comments below what the hell I did wrong there. Um, and, and please comment about any of these crimes against guitar. Horrible things. The pickups in it. So remember, I was telling you, like, I was always searching for the right pickup sound on that guitar. So I didn't like single coils. I still don't like Strat single coils that much. I, I do enjoy them now to an extent. But back then, it was like, oh, my God, nails on the chalkboard. So I took all the pickup covers off. I did not play the guitar with the pickup covers on. I was smart enough to know you don't leave the wire exposed. Although back then, I probably thought you could have gotten electrocuted if you touched it with the wires exposed. Um, what I did was I... I said, well, I, I read all this crap. There's that. Um, there's an old website where somebody talked about how to improve the Stratocaster, and they talked about doing a shielding rod and all that stuff. Um, one of the things they suggested was getting some washers to put around your uh, to put around your um, magnets to broaden the magnetic field of the pickup. So what I did is I took the I took the covers off, and I went out in the garage. My dad used to have a um, little bin of, of spare washers that he'd pulled off stuff over the years. And I went through and I found all these little washers that were similar sizes and I put them on the magnets and then I just put the covers on top. So, and I screwed it all together and put them back in the guitar and I played it that way for weeks, probably months, maybe years. Um, and I have, I still to this day have no idea whether that did anything um, whatsoever. Nothing. No idea. Didn't even think to think to look and see. Well, are these are these uh, washers magnetic? Because if they're not magnetic, this is probably not going to do shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just nothing had entered into my mind about this. Where I'm like, oh, this is a good idea, or this is a terrible idea, or this doesn't make any damn sense. Um, I I'm trying to think what other dumb things I've done to guitars. Because uh, I know there's more. I, I there's got to be more. Um, I refretted that guitar. I'm trying to think what happened during that process. That was okay. That was all okay. Most of this stuff was done to like two guitars. Um, I your Samick and your Strat. We talked about. I think for our listeners, it probably be two episodes ago. I bought um, an American Standard Strat off a coworker for like 400 bucks, and it was just filthy disgusting and like the bridge was all like this when i got it and uh, it came out of the case with the tremolo bar still on it hard shell case um that guitar 
I went, I, I, I took it home. I got it set up. I got, had them clean it out. And then I just turned around and I put new pickups in it. And then you know what I did? Within six months, I sold that guitar with new pickups in it for five fifty. I took a bath on that guitar is what I did. I took oh, a bath yeah. on it. And that was dumb because I actually it was a perfectly serviceable guitar. I probably should just kept it around. Um, it was a steel and I should have just kept it around. Now you pay $400 for a Mexican standard. So just, keep, know, that right? mind, just keep that in mind. I, um, yeah. Yeah, that's why I don't think I can get rid of any of these things. I just, you know, you think about it. And you go, do I really need to get rid of it? Um, and will I will I want to replace it? You know, when I didn't have an SG, I wanted an SG. When I didn't have a Strat, I wanted a Strat. You know, that type of thing. So it, it, it's, um, it's one of those things where it's and, – and the other side of it is that the prices don't go down. They just don't go down. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, if you've got stuff that you're thinking about selling, you should always consider like, will it someday I ever want this again? Right. I have pedals that I've reacquired multiple times. And I'm not talking about the ethos. Everybody knows that story at this point. But I have yeah. um, I have other pedals that I have bought like twice, two or three times. I've had, yep. I haven't had an amp I bought twice, which is about part of the course. I did have a PD Classic third. Let's talk about some of the amplifier things I've done too before we before we end the show. So I'll end it. I've done some really awful stuff to amplifiers. Um, okay. I had a Brownsville solid state amp. Okay. It's my first like little practice amp. It came from Sam Ash. It's their house brand. And it was a one by eight speaker, a one by six speaker, 10 watts. And I remember seeing in a magazine, they were talking about things to do like before a gig. And in the back, it said, always check your tubes. Make sure that there's no broken glass in the back of your amp. So I looked in the back of my amp and I go, fuck, there's no broken glass. There's no, there's nothing in here, period. I'm like, where are the tubes? And I like literally spent like six and a half hours taking this thing apart, looking for the tubes. I'm like, there's surely tubes in here. Like, there's got to be tubes. Every amp has tubes, right? I mean, that's how it's supposed to work. Yeah. Now, bear in mind, this is, you know, 2000, 2001. Uh, this is going on. I, I should have been smart enough to know better than that. Um, and then uh, I can remember the PV Classic 30, the first tube amp I ever owned. I pulled two of the tubes out to try and make it quieter, like the, the deluxe reverb trick, or the not deluxe reverb. Oh yeah, the, uh, the twin reverb trick. Yeah, the yep. amp didn't like that blue fuse. Um, yep. And uh, I think a blue fuse. I, it might have been something else. Um, I had the Rivera Classic Thirty. I had it for a while. Um, I had to have work done to it, and I didn't know any better. I, I knew it, I figured it needs new tubes because everybody says when an amp is acting up, generally replace tubes, right? So, and I knew it was output yep. tubes. So this is like, this is not that long ago. This is probably eight years ago, 10 years ago. Um, right, right. Yeah, it might be. It's older than my daughter. So it's over 10 years ago, probably 15 years ago or something. Um, and I remembered like, oh, I'll just buy these tubes and put them in there. So I got the correct tubes. I didn't get the wrong tubes. 
And I, um, I said, okay, we'll swap because I think it was a, it's a 30 watt amp. I think it was two EL 34s. So we'll just swap them. Put the new tubes in, played them for about an hour. And then all of a sudden the amp stopped working. And I'm like, what the hell? Fuse blew. Had to get a fuse, put in the wrong fuse from, from Radio Shack, but it was enough to get it going. And I knew it was like very close to the existing one. I, I sort of knew the fuse thing, like how that was supposed to work. And um, so I I put the uh, the fuse in it and then uh, powered it back up. Of course, blew that fuse. I had to wait two days to get the right fuse. Thought it was the fuse that was the issue. It wasn't fused. I had bad tubes. I took the tubes out at some point and they were frosted on the inside. They were like, like, like it snowed in there. Um, and it wasn't bad tubes. Okay. You can't just swap tubes. Like you need to get the amp service so they can bias it. And I'm sure it was biased too hot for those tubes and it just blew them up. I mean, I'm sure that's what happened. Just blew them up. And the tubes I was having in it at the time, I think were red plating. So that the ones that came with it. But cap. it ended up being that it just needed a cap job, and I needed to back off on the bass control. This game, those amps have an absurd amount of bass. Um, you really have to run the bass at like nine o'clock or less. Uh, I don't understand why he has a tone control like that, but I know it's also like his circuits are active tone controls, and so that may not actually do any cut. And I'm thinking that's right. kind of what was going on. It's a preamp with no with no cut. It's only boost, so. Um, you leave the base at zero for you have some or a lot base. more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that that may have actually been what was going on, and it sort of makes sense because if you're going to do that preamp, then you're going to push the amp in different ways. So it makes a it makes a lot of sense to do that. And I know one side of it was supposed to be preamp. I think one of it was post amp, and I, I generally lived on the post amp side. That amp sounded so good turned up, and I sold it because I'm like, well, it sounds like crap at bedroom volume though. And now, like, now that I've had multiple amps and stuff, I realize, like, I should have kept it. I had, that, I had that amp for a number of years. I traded it for uh, Rivera Knucklehead 100. Stupid loud amp. Uh, um, <laughs> sold that. Uh, sold that. Got a PRS Sanzera head, which is a 50-watt head. And then proceeded yeah. to rattle pictures off the walls. Uh, that's another dumb thing I've done. Because it was so loud that it would just peel paint. Um, wow. Yeah, so I think that's that's a good set of my sins. I'm I'm sure I have more. I feel like I, I I feel like I feel like I'm a better person now because I'm having confessed these things to the world. There are things that I have done to I, guitars that. So when I tell people I have done things to guitars that, that you know, and I and I and I tell you like I know that's bullshit. Understand something? I probably actually do because I've probably done something stupid in the past. That is informed what I'm saying. Um, Cause I have I, to, <laughs> I have to admit that I've never done anything. So t- I, other than burning one guitar that, that a whole bunch of hipsters are like, I can't believe you burned that. Um, that I, I treat my, my guitars like children. I mean, t- oh, I, treat them, I treat them great now, but back then, yeah. I, okay. So here's the deal. I was just cheap. I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job. So if I was going to get something fixed, I'd have to do it myself or beg my parents for money and hope to God that they would be like, okay. They didn't want to help me maintain my stuff. Like that was just like a hundred dollars to go get your guitar set up. Like what? I know. Right. Um, What? And 
it's like, well, they don't change over time. Yeah, they do. They're fucking wood. You know, like that's, you know, um, I've had to come to a lot of a lot of grips with a lot of different things over over, I, you know, my childhood versus my adult life. And OK, I do have one more. OK, okay one, we'll one more and then we're going to we're done. So I was on the ship. I had my guitar. Um, that was my number one for many, many years. My number one acoustic. And it was this cheap, super cheap guitar I got for like $200 at a um, guitar shop over here in Norfolk. And it was by a company named Bentley, which means that it had no value whatsoever outside of the, the intrinsic value it had to me. It was thin, blue. I still, still around. Love that guitar. It was um, hand-signed by the guys from America. Um, I gigged it all, literally all over the world. Okay. This thing has been, it's busked in bars in Germany, uh, Italy, France, Russia, uh, Czech. I mean, I've been everywhere. So, um, and down the Caribbean, down South America, all over the place. So I get, uh, now this is a shitty guitar. I mean, it's a shitty guitar. It is not a great acoustic. It's not a great electric. It's not really good. <laughs> so towards the end of my time on the ship that it that it gave me, I'm talking to someone, and I have my guitar in my hand, and I'm in a thing called a uh, I'm I'm in a um, thing called a void, which is a, which is an empty room, and has no what do you call it? and I'm going down a ladder well. So I, I go past the workspace where, so I took it out of the void and I'm going past the workspace. So he said, Jim, how you doing? I said, I'm fine. And just as I said, I'm fine. My hand slipped off the ladder. I have, it's supposed to be one hand for you, one hand for the ship. I've got one hand on a guitar, one hand on the ship. The hand for the ship let go. I went straight down three decks right out of my ass. Oh, I mean, I landed right on my tailbone. And the guitar came feet. down right in between, right in between my legs. Boing, like that. Just hit the ground and bounced back up. Did you catch it? It's kind of like, yeah, yeah. Kind of like a guitar, or I mean, kind of like a car accident. At first, you're like, oh my God. Is everybody okay? And they look down. So everybody's looking down like this. Look, Are you all right? And look up. I don't know yet. I think. <laughs> I think I broke my ass. <laughs> and um, luckily, I, didn't, I, didn't, I literally didn't break anything. I don't know how. Let's talk about the guitar, and, though. Uh, but the guitar, so you know how they put the, the um, end pin. input in the end pin? Yeah, that went right through the guitar. <laughs> that went right into the guitar, put a hole in the, in the wood that would be I, I don't have it here the hole in the wood is that the guitar is only this thick the hole in the wood is this thick <laughs> so now the wood is broken all the way okay so the hole in the guitar is now a hole in the guitar so the guys helped me fish the output jack through the <laughs> sound hole one guy's pushing it with a with a coat hanger and the other one's we're pulling it. We get it out and we just duct taped it. So I played a duct taped acoustic guitar. <laughs> the rest of that cruise, every busking thing, everything I did, 
Every live thing I did on that, that guitar, <laughs> it I might did. have improved it. It it could have. I'll be honest with you. And you know what's funny? So a cheap, crappy guitar that had literally no value, like I said, outside of my use of it, worked right up to the end, right up to when the Paizo just gave out. I mean, 30 years, give or take, that thing gave me. Um, it gave me an entire military career and then some. Okay. And uh, so... I've got to be. I got to be honest. That is amazing for such a piece of shit that it was. It was literally a piece of shit. You brought up end pins. Yes. You brought up yeah. end pins. Yep. You, you talked about end pins. So now I must talk about end pins. That okay. white. That white Stratocaster. One night at a, we were playing. Uh, we were playing at a um, uh, rec center, mm-hmm. and uh, we got. I think eight songs through our 10 song set and my amp just having a hissy fit. It was going wee, 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 and I have to turn it off, turn it back on, and it'd be going wee, 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 and if you remember, this is the, the line six I had. So I was like, what the hell is wrong with it? And I realized I wasn't going to be able to finish the show. I didn't have a backup. Alright, so this is important lesson. This is me learning how to actually do this stuff for real. And I, <laughs> I got mad. I turned around, took my guitar, and I threw it on the stand. I didn't put it on the stand. I threw it on the stand. And the stand was so cheap that the the bottom, like, it was one of those things where it, like, slots through. And then you turn it over. Yeah. Okay? Yep. And the stand was so cheap that it bent. And it yep. hit, and, and the guitar went to the ground. on, yep. And it was a linoleum floor. So it's linoleum over concrete. So the end pin actually got jammed up inside like the guitar, like the screw bent and the end pit like went into the body of the guitar really bad. So there is a giant dent in the shape of the end pin at an, <laughs> at an angle in that yeah. guitar. And I think the way I ended up fixing it was just redrilling the hole. And I say redrill it. Redrilled Throw the hole. some wood putty on there. I redrilled the hole so that it would go around the dent. I never threw wood putty in it. <laughs> oh, shit. Screw that. Um, so I, I actually, I think I have Dunlop. Too much work. I think I put Dunlop strap, strap pins on it. The Dunlop strap lock ones, because I had them at the time and it was like, no, this is one way to fix this problem. Um, oh, one more thing. So my first set of locking tuner, I had go to auto locking tuners. I go in on that Godan. And then I ripped those off. No. I did not come with locking tuners. I just had Godan tuners or Godan branded. And I took those off and I had a, I had a matching set of Godos that were auto, auto locking. I've never seen anything like them. And I still haven't seen anything like them since. There's no pin you, you unscrew or anything on the pickup or on the, on the uh, tuner. You stick the string in there and you just tune it and it locks yep. for you. And okay. um, so two things. Number one, I used to, I used to wrap the string around and then lock it. Which okay. defeats the entire purpose, purpose of having oh, yeah. locking tuners. Yeah. It's just idiocy to do that. Um, <laughs> and I've done this. I did it. It was a thing. I admit it. Yep. Okay. I'm absolved. Um, and then I put locking. I put. I bought aftermarket locking tuner. Or the, the, those were aftermarket locking tuners I put on it. I still have the original tuners. I sold that guitar, guitar to Guitar Center. 
Do you think they gave a shit about those Godot locking tuners that were on it? No. No, no. absolutely not. And and the dumb no. part is the Godot locking tuners are not like parts congruent with anything. Or they're not nope. locking. They're just regular tuners. Um, they're right. not parts congruent with anything. So I was going through this weekend. I was like, do I just throw these in the trash? Yep. And I didn't. Yep. I kept them. You know what you do? You sell them on, you sell them on Reverb. Even if yeah. you only get 10 bucks for them. Nobody's I mean, at least lie. somebody gets to use them. I... I, you know, no, I got a lot of parts. You, spare parts. Oh, actually, it's not spare parts. I'm rather doing because it has actually <laughs> spare parts to spare parts, I suppose. Um, I I just laugh when you tell me that story because I, I sold my strat, which I wish I hadn't, but um, I sold my strat. And uh, when I sold it, um, I sold it with the new pickups in it, Seymour Duncan's. I have the original pickups. I sold it with the Fender branded um, locking yeah, tuners. Like, I just got to sell this right now. Tuners. I got to run to the store and sell it. And you don't stop to think like, shit, I got like $400 worth of mod parts in here. You know, like, <laughs> I should have uh, more than that. And it had an acoustic bridge in it. Yes, yeah, so you had a piezo. I have the original bridge, too. I should have taken the piezo bridge out of it. Then I could put the piezo bridge in this thing. But anyway, so it, it just it just pisses me off. I should have taken that because because it's just it was just an American standard. I could have taken that plate off, bought a replacement um, internet, uh, probably cheap ass uh, um, pickup um, loaded. You know what do you call it? Throwing that in there for one hundred fifty dollars, call it a day, and had all my parts and my bridge and everything, and for what? It, so I could sell it for at the time and for what Guitar Center gave me. So let's not even get to that, right? <laughs> I'm just, I am so. I will not. I, I got to be honest with you, and, and and you know, I'm a reverb convert, a relatively recent reverb con- convert. You know, I sold those pedals. They all sold in a day, by the way. The pedals that we talked about in the last the last yep, episode. Yep. I sold those, as you know, in a day. Um. I don't know why anybody goes to, and I had a friend, <clears throat> he was selling his gold top 50s Les Paul, which is like my 50s Les Paul. And I said to him, I said, don't sell that. I kept trying to convince him to keep it. He was going to sell it. Then he was keeping it. Then he was selling it. And I said to him, I said, listen, man, take it out and play it. That's He was afraid to play it out. Anyway, long story short, when he was selling it, I said, you keep getting this these shitty offers because you're doing local pickup only, and people around here are a holes. So sell it on Reverb, get a better deal, get your money's worth. Um, he's like, oh, I don't know anything about the shipping. And I go, I'll do it for you. I'll do it for twenty dollars. I will ship it for you. You'll have to pay for the shipping and the label and everything, but I'll do all the rest of the work for twenty bucks, and I get it off your hands. And, and he goes, but I'm going to have to pay for shipping. I go, no, you pass those savings on to the, to the purchaser. If they're not local pickup, you have to buy it. Um, but long story short, I, I am a, I'm actually shocked, and this is maybe something we can talk about in another episode, why don't people do more stuff for themselves? You know what I mean? They do more for yourself. And maybe it's because they're, you know, time, just what you were talking about earlier, time is a valuable asset. And maybe it's they just don't want to spend the time. And it's an asset they don't want to give up. 
we'll have a bigger we'll have a bigger conversation about that next week. So um, if you've enjoyed the content here tonight, please uh, like and subscribe. Hit the notification icon if you want to hear our our, uh, our stupid opinions on things again. Got a little bell right down here. Um, other than that, uh, I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we've been practical guitarists with terrible memory. Exactly. <laughs>